we're here. We've returned to our podcast where we talk about movies, sometimes coherently even. Today we're here to talk about 1977 classic Sorcerer by William Freakin. Now this is the first time that either of us have seen this movie. Yes. Yeah. What were your initial impressions of it? Um, very visceral. Uh, yeah, visceral is a good word to describe it. <laughs> uh, visceral. Some cuts were kind of kind of interesting. Um, yeah, the editing was interesting. Sometimes it was really good, and sometimes it was a little wonky. Yeah, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit jarring in the in the cuts sometimes. But but this is a movie that surprised me. It basically we're going to talk about this later. But there's two points. You know, it's clearly defined by three acts, and each act is like a very clear left turn. This movie takes two left turns and becomes. Two completely different movies during that time that it covers that. I found that pretty interesting. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. They're very different. The acts almost feel like mini like movie vignettes that are stitched yeah. together with a narrative, but they're different. Um, and that's definitely in the first act, which is all vignettes. Yes. Anyway, a little background on William Freakin. Uh, he'd been around since the 60s before making this movie. He started as a documentary filmmaker. Out of his documentaries, probably the most notable one is The Thin Blue Line from 1966 about policing. But I think this his uh, background in documentaries definitely permeates his style throughout his whole filmography, this film included. Uh, the movie that really put him on the map was The French Connection in 1971. It was a massive hit at the box office, grossed about $70 million off of a $2 million budget. It's a big critical, <laughs> not bad at all. It was a big critical darling too, and cleared house at that year's Oscars. One best picture, one best director for Freakin, one best actor for Gene Hackman. Um, so it was a big hit. It's uh, regarded as a classic, and crime thriller is now part of the National Film Registry. So he has that under his belt, and then he goes on to make his next film after that, which is The Exorcist in 1973, which. You know, I don't have to tell anybody, is one of the most famous, one of the most influential horror films of all time. Personal favorite, you know. Personal favorite of Jake here, <laughs> so that should say a lot. Um, but I mean, a movie that's really endured culturally, it's still in the zeitgeist, still people talk about it, parody it, so on and so forth, and almost 50 years later. And then, you mean, you think uh, the French Connections box office take was good? The Exorcist, $12 million budget, $440 million worldwide. Do we have those numbers adjusted for inflation? No, I don't, okay. but it would be ridiculous, <laughs> yeah, needless a, to say. It's a nice ROI Here, right Here's there. to put it in context. Um, in terms of R-rated horror films, the next film to R-rated horror film to gross more than it was It Chapter 1 in 2017, and that's not adjusting for inflation. So, I mean, that should show you how big it is. Like, 45 years it took for a movie, not adjusted for inflation, to beat it out in the same category it was yeah. in. Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking about a guy who, coming into Sorcerer, was on a massive hot streak. Just made two of the biggest films of that decade, two very well-regarded and well-remembered films. And then he makes Sorcerer, which was originally conceived as a small $2 to $3 million movie he wanted to make as kind of a stepping stone film to an idea he had called The Devil's Triangle, a film that never got made, which was like kind of either a sequel or a pseudo spiritual successor to the exorcist okay um but this movie is based off uh it's actually a remake of a 1953 french film called the wages of fear which have you seen that before i haven't i've seen it before a while ago i don't really remember much about it but it's more of like a quasi remake because i'd say this movie kind of takes what that movie did in broad strokes okay yeah but uh this movie was not a hit when it came out 
not neither the critics didn't like it. That's one thing. The critics loved his previous movies. They did not like this movie. If you go on Rotten Tomatoes today in 2021 and look it up, the score's around the high 70s, which is pretty good. Fairly, yeah. yeah, fairly well regarded. Um, but that's a more of a modern trend. A lot of those reviews come from a 2017 4K re-release that of Sorcerer had that premiered at the Venice Film Festival. Okay. Um, 4K re-release, interesting. Yeah, uh, they do that with a lot of movies these days. You buff it up, you make it look nice. Yeah. Nice and clean for the 4K release. Uh, I don't know. It kind of ruins part of the experience. <laughs> I mean, that uh, depends on how they're handled. I guess. You know, how the transfer is done, who's involved We'll on have to it. check out that 4K version and see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perhaps. For a while, like, when this movie came out, the critics did not like it. And it was also a box office bomb. He originally planned it to be a 2 to $3 million movie, as I said. The budget eventually ballooned to somewhere in the 21 to $22 million range. And worldwide, it grossed $9 million. Okay. So it didn't even recuperate half of its production cost. It's all right, you know. You know, why did it do so bad? Well, the negative critical reviews of it didn't help. Apparently, a lot of people were put off by the first uh, portion of this movie not being in English. A lot of people walked out in the beginning to the point where theater owners had to put signs in the lobbies of their theaters saying, hey, if you're going to see Sorcerer, stick around after the first 15 minutes because we promise the rest of the movie is in English. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, there was also some like fan expectations, apparently. And this, this one makes more sense to me where people thought, like, this movie is called Sorcerer. It's from the guy who previously delivered The Exorcist. They were expecting more of a horror or supernatural element. And were kind of disappointed when they didn't get that. Yeah, well, if they stuck around to the end, they got it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, a little bit. It's a little bit in there. Um, but the biggest reason is this was a victim of its release date. Came out in 1977, just two weeks after a little movie called Star Wars did. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, that yeah. explains it all. <laughs> so it wasn't the only... Uh, victim of star wars but for me now it's one of the more notable ones okay so that's a little background on uh sorcerer and everything that went into it so shall we start talking about the movie proper let's let's get into it yeah so we said the the three acts of this film are pretty clearly defined and this first act is a series of four vignettes which are introducing our characters and essentially providing backstory to them well very limited but yeah yeah, um, very limited. Sets the stage for what comes after. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that you brought up he was a documentarian before this because I would say that these four uh, vignettes that introduce the characters feel almost documentary style ish. Um, yeah, uh, in some sense, with the cinematography especially. Yeah, well, that's yeah because there's very little dialogue setting up like what's exactly going on outside of the fact that. It's like with, between the characters, um, <laughs> right? Um, so there's not like you know an over over voice explaining what's going on, but it feels like it's shot from that perspective where it's just trying to capture what's happening mm-hmm. and not trying to say anything about what's happening in the way it's capturing it. Um, yeah, which I think is impossible to do, but that's what it feels like it's trying to do anyway. Um, right. I mostly see the documentary style come through in like the camera techniques. There's a lot of things shot matter of factly in this movie. There's a lot of handheld camera that gives you that kind of on the ground, I'm there feeling. Yeah. So I, um, I don't remember the order in which it goes, but um, so the first one opens in Mexico when that's uh, where we see a man walk into a building, shoot somebody and then walk out as quietly as he entered. Well, very well dressed man. This is easily the shortest of the vignettes. It's just yeah. like the opening minute of the movie. 
And this one, like, uh, gives us the least to work with, because it's just basically a mystery. You know, who is this guy? Yeah, no context whatsoever, just... Right. Man walks in, shoots somebody, and walks out. Yeah. It's not till our second one where we're taken to Jerusalem, and we see this uh, group of Palestinians who are disguised as Jews. They detonate a bomb near the Damascus Gate. Yes. Which, uh, that really took me by a storm when I first saw it. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, the explosion was was real. Yeah, this uh, movie relishes in its explosions. Yes, it, does. it has them. I mean, it, it actually it's, there's no CG, so you know, right? It, it can totally indulge in my opinion. Oh, <laughs> you know, those are real explosions. Definitely. So. Well, it's like that twenty million dollar budget went somewhere. Yeah, the right. Explosions <laughs> were probably like a quarter of it. I'd say. Yeah, at least, at least. Yeah. Um, so they detonate their bomb and. Uh, People die. People die, yeah. They try to escape. They go back to like, their safe house, but the uh, the Israeli military runs yeah. up on them. IDF comes through. Yep. The group of four, two are killed, one is captured, and one escapes. escapes. And he, at the end of this vignette, he watches in this a very, another documentary feel. Whenever you're in crowds in this movie, yes. it has a big documentary feel. He watches this as uh, the one who got captured gets basically taken away. Yeah. And he's like lost in the crowd. But the, the camera very intently focuses on his face, keeps him in the middle of the frame. There's yes. a lot going on around him. Um, it does, it does. And he's going to be, like, we're being introduced to the, to the four who are going to be our group of drivers um, in Act 2. Right. These um, are going to be our primary cast. Yeah. And the third place, is that Paris? That is Paris, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, from what we gather, this is the introduction to a businessman who fraudulently put up collateral that did not exist for a bank loan. Business venture is not going well, uh, being called on the loan, essentially. Um, Yeah, they say he has 24 hours to deliver on it. Yes. He's got financial ties and his wife's family, so he implores his brother-in-law, who's his business partner, to, you know, ask his father-in-law to give him the money. Yep. And he refuses multiple times. Um, yeah. So this is definitely like the slowest of the um, vignettes in the opening because it actually gives us some time to sit down with this character, this businessman whose name is Victor, that we're following and like kind of live his life. Yes. See him reading the paper, drinking tea. Yeah. Talking to his wife, which that's an interesting scene. His wife's a literary agent. And she's reading this uh, this account of this soldier who had the orders to open fire, but he noticed that if he gave the order, it would have killed a civilian. To Victor asks, did he give the order? And she says, yes. To which he says, so he's just another so soldier. soldier. Yeah, after discussing whether or not he's like a philosopher poet or not. Right. Yeah, but she says, she says in response to that, no one is just, just anything. anything. Very important. Yeah, very yeah. important for this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, but he can't get the money together. No, uh, and his brother-in-law commits suicide after being denied by his father um, for the third time. Right, um, so he runs away. So he runs away from he, his family. He runs away from his family and his life of decadence. Mm-hmm. Nice suits and nice dinners and being a well-regarded businessman because it's all just gone to shit. Yes. <laughs> I noticed there's actually some uh, kind of links between the second and third vignettes, the one in Jerusalem and the one in France. The establishing shots actually mirror each other. The one in Jerusalem opens with a shot from what would be a window point of view onto our main character who's on the street. Yes. Whereas the one in France opens with a shot from the perspective of someone on the street Street. looking at Victor who's looking through the window. Yeah. 
Also, the, the second thing that links these two vignettes is that there, there's two driving segments in the middle of this. In Jerusalem, it's when the IDF is coming to get these Palestinian militants. Uh-huh. And then in France, it's when Victor's driving to meet his brother-in-law to ask him to ask his father-in-law for the money. Yes, that's that's right. actually has score over it. There's actually a soundtrack in this movie, which is used really sparingly throughout. And um, these are the only two of the four vignettes to actually be have any score in this. A lot of this movie is ambient sounds, weather, you yeah. know, the environment and stuff. But the soundtrack was done by Tangerine Dream, German electronic group, gone on to you know record numerous scores such as Legend for Tim Curry, Risky Business, a classic uh, <laughs> for all uh, Tom Cruise fans out there. <laughs> all ten of you. All ten of you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but apparently, I love the story. I read the story where William Freakin, how he went to a concert in Germany in this church that went from t- 12 o'clock midnight to 4 a.m. where Tangerine Dream played in the dark. Interesting. And when he heard that concert, he was like, I need these guys to score my next movie. <laughs> and I mean, that just sounds like four hours in a dark German church listening to Tangerine Dream. That sounds like an experience. It does. It does. Yeah, I feel like I would remember that. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. But uh, this all leads us into the fourth vignette, which uh, takes place in good old New Jersey. Yes. We would say our main character of this movie, or for all intents and purposes, I would say he's the main character of the film. Uh, uh, yeah, acts two and three probably center around him. The most. The most. Yeah. As an individual. His name is Jackie. He's played by Roy Scheider. Yeah. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Fun fact is this uh, role was written for Steve McQueen. He's a well-known actor from Bullet, The Great Escape, Magnificent yep. Seven, etc., etc. Uh, and he read the script and he loved it. Uh, but he had two requests. And one, that w- they would film in the U.S. and not in South America. And two, that he would either, his uh, wife at the time would either be given a role in the movie or made a producer. To both which uh, William Freakin said no. Yeah. So that's how uh, Roy Scheider got cast. And he was a pretty big actor because he was just coming off of Jaws, I believe. That's released. right. He's a sheriff or whatever. Yeah, of the town. Mm-hmm. And released right before this. So uh, he plays uh, Jackie, who's a wheelman. For this Irish mob who is robbing a church run by the Italian mob. <laughs> this is kind of funny. I was like, when, I, when they you see these guys driving up on a church and you see this wedding procession going in, I was like, what is going on? I, I thought another bomb was going to be set off or something. I was like, what is it? And then you realize that this church has been running this bingo racket. Yes. Just been stealing from old people. And this is why you never play bingo because it's always a racket. Always. There's always some Italian mob behind it. I mean, the, the church is a racket, but we can get into that. Yeah. <laughs> Discuss a religious film. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Silence one day. Yes. Yes. Oh, man. Yes. Definitely. But um, another day. Another day, for sure. <laughs> but uh, so they, they rob this church while this wedding is going on um, underneath the church and they get away with the money. Seems all happy at first. They're singing songs together as they get away in the car, but a, a disagreement sparks between two of the robbers, and it leads to Jackie getting distracted behind the wheel when someone pulls a gun in the car. Yes. Leading to a, a brutal crash. And Jackie is the only one to walk away, either alive or not captured. Right. Um, and since he's the only one to walk away, one of, during the robbery, they ended up killing a mob son's boss, or a mob <laughs> boss's son, excuse yeah. me. So uh, that that puts a price on Jackie's head. Yeah, which, even uh, though he didn't kill him. No, he's the last, he's the last one, one left. Yeah. So 
he uh, it's a redemption. He has no a loose ends, right? And that kind of that's what mir- mirrors that second introduction with the um, with the uh, Israel uh, the Israeli bombing. Um, mm-hmm. He's the only one left, you know. Right. So everyone's had to leave something behind—a group or a life. The Frenchman uh, yeah. had to leave his family. Um, so outside of the first man, yeah, yeah. in Mexico, the the assassin, so to speak. Yes. Yeah, he's still a mystery at this point. But these uh, four vignettes, you know, jumping across the world, they go pretty fast. And then we enter the second act. We find out where all these people had to escape to. And that's Colombia in the town of Poor Veneer. And this is when really, like, the movie kind of grinds to a halt. It starts over and it becomes this story uh, about this town in poverty. And, and people inhabit it to a degree. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's... Um, it's like a kind of like a slice of life piece. Yeah, the local um, bar is run by an ex-Nazi. Um, yep. Uh, there's a Nazi in the in the town, too, doing work. Um, mm. So there's two ex-Nazis. Um, uh, there's a bunch of worker mine, miners who work for an oil company. Uh, right. Tra- uh, you know, uh, multinational, um, which we're assuming is run by America. Yeah, uh, it was run by an American company. American company, sure. yeah. Um, the town is there. A lot of their economy that this area is reliant on that oil producing and doing well. Yeah. So, do we actually have a time frame as to when uh, the time the time takes place between Act One and Act Two? I don't is, think. I don't so. believe wherever. Uh, it's, it's just like some years have passed. I'm yes. Assuming. Yeah. I would. I was. I was gathering that it was. It was years as well. Um, so, right. as, assumedly, these people have been living in this town. Yeah, because they've all like found employment. Yes. Um, Victor, who they all, uh, he's going under the name of Serrano. Yeah. And he's working at the oil well. And Victor uh, was originally um, the fraud from Paris. Yes, yeah, he was the fraud from Paris. Uh, yeah. Jackie, our former wheelman, is going under the name Juan Dominguez. He's working at the airport. There's like this one dirt strip adjacent to yeah. where they live. That uh, serves as the airport for this whole area. Yes. Um, He's, like, offloading baggage and stuff. Don't know what the assassin's up to. No, we still don't know what the assassin's up and to. Then, he's not actually there when we first no, arrived in Colombia. Yeah, he's not in Colombia. We assume he's somewhere in South America, though, because it was seemingly South American country where he, you know, assassinated this. Yeah, or North Mexico. Mexico, Mexico yes. Yeah. Mexico. Veracruz, Mexico. That's right, Veracruz, that's yeah. So it's actually North America, my, my apologies. But yeah, so yeah. he's making his way downtown, down to Colombia. Um, right. We kind of learn about the uh, the expense to immigration, that uh, this is a tough scenario for people to get out of because the cost of leaving is so high and people make such meager wages. And when you get really? caught with fake papers, the police, instead of going through deportation processes, will essentially garnish your wages um <laughs> yeah they garnish like a third of what you make it feels like a purgatory situation in a sense like you're stuck in limbo there they're it's not hell but in the same way kind of concept they are paying for their past misdeeds yes um whether being involved in organized crime or terrorism or financial fraud yeah you know whatever it is which interestingly enough precipitated this the entire village in the first place uh, if you think about it no oil no, no village. Um, no right. World War Two. You know, no Nazis to, to be fleeing. You know, like mm-hmm. the the systems that be that you know kind of labeled these guys as bad, so to speak, because created this place for them to go. Right. Still for exists. All these outcasts. You know, um, which says something about 
you know, no, nobody's just one thing, right? So mm-hmm. we're introduced to these characters very flat. We only see them for their misdeeds. We haven't seen them, you know, except for Serrano a little bit. But that only that only leads us to what we see of Serrano's life is only meant to lead us to a like a negative judgment of him because like how could he right. do this to this family and blah blah blah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so we we're not getting um, any form of really like purpose or worth of redeeming these characters. So they're kind of just stuck, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and there's definitely, like, a monotony to it. Yes. As I said, this is where the movie really slows down, but it, it kind of indulges to a degree. You get a lot of long shots, a lot of very static shots. There's a lot of small, I guess you could say, character moments, like when uh, Roy Scheider character, like, looks out the window, and then he's looking right at one of the ex-Nazis. Yes. And you, you, you think it's like, oh, like, that guy's looking, he's sizing me up. But then you get from the perspective of the ex-Nazi looking at him through the window, and he's just like, oh, that guy's looking at me. They're both yeah. thinking the same thing. Yeah. They're, and then the time when the assassin rolls up to his room, and Jackie's already rented a room across from him, and he, like, looks at him. So, I mean, there's a bunch of different, like, impassing moments when these characters, you know, slowly tying that thread together, how they're all going to come together eventually, um, mm. which is the oil well. Yes. Sprouts of fire. Um, right. So a lot of people are killed. A lot of people lose their jobs. They have to shut it down. Yeah, there's almost a riot. Almost, when, yeah. When uh, the people from the oil company, as well as like, drop the Colombian off the bodies, military, yeah. Yeah, come back to the village to drop off the bodies of the de- deceased workers. And that's another... I mean, that feels like the end to the segment in Jerusalem. You yes, know, with, yeah. Like, there's a riot about to break out, and you're just dropped into the middle of it. Very documentary-esque. You know? Right. Um, and there's no real remorse, you know? No, like... Just handing out these deformed, burnt bodies, and the number one concern of the people running the company is like, well, there's a supply chain issue, and we need fifteen, uh, one hundred fifty thousand barrels from this location within six months. Yeah, you don't do it, they'll find someone who can, kind of thing. And so this guy is now sweating. Um, <laughs> right, got to get this, got to get this done. So how they're gonna stop it? They gotta, they gotta they cap gotta, it. They gotta blow it up. They gotta, they gotta, they gotta blow, blow a mine. Yeah, essentially Exting- extinguish the fire with dynamite. Yeah, yeah, essentially so, uh, <laughs> smother, smother the. Um, the spewing uh, the hole and you know right. re drill another one tap it um, so yeah um, that's what has to happen and uh, it's unfortunate though that the only available dynamite has been improperly stored at a remote depot and the nitroglycerin in it has became highly unstable yes, apparently you're supposed to turn it over every, every six months every, every six time, months yeah. or so yeah which they didn't do this dynamite's just been sitting there for years yeah waiting for the time so, so has actually leaked, leaked out into the paper wrapping around right. the dynamite so this is highly volatile dynamite highly unstable you can't fly it over on helicopters so it has to be driven <laughs> well, yeah well what did the helicopter pilot when he's trying to recruit him say you need uh, a he's like suicide, no way yeah a suicide you, jockey right uh, yeah, suicide to fly jockey. to fly this thing it's like you know you fly it low, it stays stable, but there's never any flights without turbulence. Yeah. So one small little bump and that shit explodes. Like He says, I can make it maybe five miles before I blow up, yeah. and they have 200 miles 200 to go. 200 miles to go, yeah. Yeah, so they, you know, this oil company says the only way we're going to do this is by hiring people to drive it. And uh, they end up holding tryouts, essentially. Yes. Which I thought this scene was pretty funny. Um, where they basically have this bottle of this on the dashboard of a truck, and they have people try to drive it down the road with everybody else hanging off the back of the truck, who's also trying out that day. Yes, you know, just see how much the the liquid in the bottle is going to move around if they could drive stably or not. A lot of people can't. Yeah, a lot of people can't. Casim, <laughs> um, our uh, Palestinian terrorist. Yes. Um, 
he can't either. He definitely can't. No. I mean, when he was driving that bottle, it was going all, all over, over the, the place. place. Yeah. But the guy who's recruiting for this job kind of looks at him like, well, this guy drives like he doesn't give a fuck about yeah. his life. I think he realized, yeah, this guy's kind of suicidal. Roy Scheider's character, Jackie, Juan Dominguez, he's now a pretty that, confident yeah. driver. Checks out since he's a getaway driver. Yep. So um, our three guys get hired for the job with uh, one of this ex-Nazi character. Yes. And uh, the assassin, Nilo, who also tried to get this job, he's not happy about it at all. He's the last one to leave the yard after that he's sizing guys up, who thinking, like, who am I going to take out? Yeah, essentially. Yeah, he doesn't get the job, so he's thinking, i got to kill one of these people. Right, so I can get in on this group. So I think he, you know, does his calculations well. You've got a Frenchman, an American, and, you know. Yeah. Kill the Nazi. Kill the Nazi. Who cares? Casim uh, cares, actually, but... Casim yeah, cares, yeah. yeah. They, they bonded a little bit over their hatred for Jews. Yes. But, um... So, we have our team, seemingly for now, and this led to your favorite scene of the movie, as yes. you said, where they assemble the trucks. Yes. And this is probably the most heavily scored part of the movie. You can really hear that theme from Tangerine Dream come in. It's pretty awesome. Pretty, like, heavy on the synth. Yeah, and these guys are, like, busting their rumps, putting this thing, and getting put in it, and then, like, stuff starts to come together, lights start to turn on, you know, trucks start to move. And yeah. Kind of... And they're, like, it's, they're using scraps, essentially. They're yeah. putting a bunch of scraps together, and they're kind of making these behemoths. Very much trucks. akin to Tony Stark in the cave, kind of using scraps to put together. The first like iteration of the suit. Iron Man suit. Yeah, that's kind of what it was like, you know, and so, yeah. Oh, that's an interesting analogy. Yeah. The, these trucks are so big and monster, monstrous that monstrous, they're making, yeah. you know. Well, it, it takes one to make one, right? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, this is what these men produce, but at the same time, these things I produce, it's suitable to do this Necessary. job. Necessary, yeah. Yeah, Necessary. no one's just someone. Yeah. Maybe they're needed somewhere, yeah. kind of thing. Nobody's just one thing. And, yeah. And why are they doing it, too? I love that shot in the fog where they first turn on the lights of the truck. I mean, it's like really like comes alive. That like scene slowly fe- start to come on one at a time. Like, yeah. The scene feels like a creation scene. You know, in this, it kind of like reminds me of something like you watch like Frankenstein when he's building his and monster. They very much are Frankenstein trucks. They're a bunch of different parts from mm-hmm. different things thrown together to kind of rig this thing to work. Um, yeah, I did say I didn't remember much from Wages of Fear, but I do remember from that when they did take the job, they gave them these nice top of the line trucks to use with. And then in this movie, they just get like the scrap from the junkyard and it's like, see what you can fling together yeah. to make a suitable truck. Yeah, so. Our two trucks, uh, they have names. Yes. Their names Lazaro and Sorcerer. And that's where we get the name of the movie yes. from. Which I was waiting for that. I was like, what, what's gonna, what is Sorcerer about? Who is the Sorcerer? And then I was like, oh, the truck. Yes. Called Sorcerer. I didn't notice it during the montage. I noticed it later on. Later on, driving yeah. it, And I was like, wait, the truck is called Sorcerer? Yeah, so, so Lazaro um, is expected to fail at one point. So that's where we know it gets its name. Mm-hmm. Um, and sorcerer is, you know, etymologically someone who reads your fortune by lot. So we all know eventually what's going to happen, right? Like all these guys have to die. They they've made their beds. They need to lie in them. They got their paws. They're like you know in there. And this is kind of the catalyst for <clears throat> them 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 fulfilling fate. Yeah, and and this is where they sparks them going on their journey to yeah. deliver these explosives two hundred miles away. Yeah. And this is like the going through hell. Yeah. I felt like I when I was thinking on this movie, I I felt like I noticed a progression where it's like these guys have left heaven in a way in the first act. 
for whatever misdeed they done, then they go to purgatory where they wait in the second. But then they the last act is essentially like them it's going through hell, hell yeah. but with the promise of rising again at the end of it. Like that's why they're doing it. Yeah. So they didn't have the opportunity that you'd purposefully wallow in purgatory then. You wouldn't go to hell by choice, most likely, right? Well, I mean, they, they do, though, right? They have to try out for this. Yeah, right? but so, that's because there's the promise. Oh, the yeah, there's the promise right? of the way out at the end. Yeah, that hell, hell will eventually be harrowed, and, you know, <laughs> its doors will swing empty in the wind, right? <laughs> right. Like, yeah, so that's, yeah, but you got to go down there first. You mm-hmm. can't just go from purgatory back to heaven. So, no, unless, unless, unless there's a light at that end of that tunnel, so to speak, which... Yeah, they could have used some tunnels, I think, on this trip. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. But there's no uh, tunnels no in tunnels. rural Columbia. No, yeah, no. Apparently, Mm-mm. and the word you used to describe this movie at the beginning was visceral. Yeah, and this third act is where it becomes extremely visceral. Yes, um, it's it's muscular. It's adrenaline pumping. Yes, I mean, there's just a lot of tension in it. You know, these any misstep, any wrong turn on the road, any little bump could potentially set it off and you're done. Yeah. And yeah. They really play around with that and create some exciting set pieces, including one, probably the most famous part of the, the movie, I'd say. Uh, is is that, that the bridge? Is the bridge, yeah. yeah. And I'm just saying that because I know that's the poster for the movie, is that bridge. I mean, that was in, in the, basically this rope bridge made with wooden planks that was big enough for industrial-sized pickup trucks to drive across. Yeah, you know, the um, rope is fraying, but, and yeah. the planks are rotting, and it's just pouring rain. Yeah, and and these trucks are two-ton trucks. They, like, we're talking Ford F-150s could go across these things, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. You know, farming things, or, like, transport vehicles for yeah, the I mining mean, surveys, stuff like that. Like, you're not driving, you know, these massive, even though they were only, like, four, I think they might have been six-wheelers, like, like you're just yeah, recording like disaster here. Yeah, 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 you'd yeah. see them like military transport kind of trucks. Yes, maybe yeah. even or they kind of reminded me of something you would see on like the the road and Mad Max movie. Yes, yeah, yeah, very much like with the you know the the metal protection plates on it and stuff because they might be hijacked on the way too. I mean, there's not just the danger of the route and how not only like unmanaged, you know, unkempt it is, but how mm-hmm. it's like not even a road meant for this sort of vehicle in the right. first place right so you've got that then you've got like nature itself the, the forest at yeah. any given moment ready to kind of just swallow you up and then you know you've got the issue of other people yeah where you can't see what's going on yeah you got your arm out the window hacking like, through yeah. trees, trees with yeah. a machete um but the um you know this movie's not heavily scored and this is where there's probably the least score in this act of the movie it's really just a with lot good of cause yeah. yeah with good cause it goes a long way into this film having legitimate texture. You know, when you're pouring and the rain, the rain is pouring, pouring down. down. Yeah, it, it it's definitely meant to like bring you into the experience of yeah of of, of the drivers, um, right? Like you could just feel like you reach out and touch it. Yeah, this is kind of why, where it goes to why I wonder why freaking really wanted to remake this movie because like this is quite a movie to ask a crew to make especially in with everything going on it's a tough movie to ask your actors to make i think yeah tough movie to ask your like production crew to make i uh i think it had i would i mean i don't want to say it's a political thing but it, it seems very much like he's trying to to wake us up to some reality here um that Wow, we kind of create our own demons, so to speak. 
and then we shovel the shit off onto other people and, you know, just kind of turn a blind eye to the fact that, like, society has a very big role in, in creating all of these individual characters. Like, there's a need for gangs, like, driveway car, like, getaway driver. There's a, you know, mm-hmm. there's something being ignored in Palestine that requires, you know, a bomb to, to kind of, you know, to wait, yeah. yeah, yeah, and so, like, the, I think, you know, maybe the financial system needs a few frauds yeah, here. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, it, yeah, but the fact that, like, he's in the investigator's office and the investigator's saying, like, I can't not charge you. Like, I'm being told if I don't charge you, my superiors are going to find me and there'll be an investigation about me. Like, I can't push this off. And so, like, even the people who are enforcing the law are mm-hmm. trying to give this guy an out. Like, hey, you have 24 hours, bro, come up with the, the collateral. And he doesn't, so he pieces. Like, I'm sure not your everyday regular French citizen gets that. You know, the waiter who's serving him in the dining room, if he stole $50 from the, you know, the right. bar or whatever, he wouldn't be given 24 hours to produce it. He'd be in jail. Like, yeah. Um, I think there's something to be said about that, like, we kind of need to take a take a look at these anti-heroes who we can't actually sympathize or empathize with in any way because all we've seen them is at their worst. Mm-hmm. Um, but see that there's something, like, still to them. Yeah. Like, they do have a genuine drive. That is reflective of all that we all, all of us have that drive to want to like, you know, be better. We've right. sinned and want to change or want to redeem ourselves in some way, shape or form or don't even care about the sins, but just want to kind of get out of the fucking muck. Right. Like that's, that's something you can empathize with. So it's like the journey itself, you know, um, becomes your way of humanizing these characters who otherwise are very flat and very like just I don't give a shit what happens to them they should all just blow up anyway right like <laughs> good riddance kind of thing yeah um, so I think he, the remake is because he thinks that that's a story that's still necessary for us to hear and see and know um, okay. in some way shape or form uh, otherwise why do it at all you know <laughs> yeah that's an interesting perspective on it I definitely didn't have that before but yeah this uh, this third act keeps going and these two different crews, these two different trucks are tasked with different, you know, different challenges and also the same challenges along the way. They had to leave at different times, but they, they eventually meet up um, when a tree is blocking the road. And I, I found this to be a fun part, even though it might have gone on for a little long. It's yeah. when they all work together to blow up the tree. Palestinian bomb makers' uh, expertise yeah, comes in comes handy. in as they use some of their dynamite to yeah. clear the road. And it's really cool, like, seeing them all work together and put in part of something. And then how they set up the bomb with the, the uh, there was a timer yeah, like on it with the sandbag. Yeah, sandbag, which is, which is like, the pocket of one of them is cut out to use as a sandbag. A sandbag and right. it's, like, put on this, like, hitch of a tree. And, like, it's... It was really clever. It was, yeah. It was really clever. It was fun to see. And, um, you know, Kasim and Victor are celebrating it. And uh, they, they take a little tumble. You know, it's like after all this, they've done everything right. They've crossed this road, this uh, land so carefully, then their tire just blows out. Yep. Just out of nowhere. While we're, while Serrano's humanizing himself and we're starting to see that he still loves his wife. And yeah, like, you know, like yeah, he's doing they're talking first. to each other. Kasim's like, so you're from Paris? Yeah, you've ever been there? I was there for, for a couple days, days yeah. right? And yeah, yeah, Serrano shows him the watch yeah. that his wife gave him the last day that they saw each other which was for their 10 year anniversary yeah so what a time to leave right um, yeah I know oh man and so you know Serrano's handing him the watch and Pop goes the weasel and then they explode they explode and uh, Jackie and Nilo the assassin hear it so they go to check it out and 
see, you know, the remains of what's left and ended up getting stuck up by a gang of would-be robbers. And I like how the robbers are just going for, like, pedestrian items. They're like, do you got any toilet paper in this truck? Do you have any Kleenex? Like, they don't want explosives, but uh, Nilo ends up shooting them. (laughs) Yeah, good old Nilo does what he does best, right? Right. All of their different skill sets coming together. Yeah, Roy Scheider hits one of them with a shovel in the back of the head. Takes him out. Tink, tink, yep. (laughs) it's, It's funny because that's what happened to him is he had a robbery gone wrong yeah and then he ends up surviving via a robbery gone wrong so yeah a nice little right. poetic justice there but uh so nilo gets injured after yeah. killing those guys and, and instead of leaving him behind he takes, takes him. him he takes him but and there's like there's a scene where they're driving together nilo dying in the cab of the truck and he's like oh you know what are you gonna do when you with your share of the money and Nilo's like oh i'm gonna get a prostitute and he's like oh man why not too it's a weird moment because he's, like, trying to be nice yeah. to him, but it feels, like, superficial. Like, you, like his mind is obviously on other things. Yeah. He's, he's like, this like, guy saved my life, so I'm going to take him. I'm going to be nice to him. But you can tell there's no love lost when Nilo died. No. No. Um, and he's entering, like, the twilight, like, very, like, weird area where he starts to hear voices. Yeah. This is, like, another worldly um, Kind yeah. of there. It doesn't even look like Earth. It's like some weird salt flats surrounded yes. by cliffs. But yeah, it, it, and it shines like a dark blue in the moonlight. Um, it's yeah. very like, you know. You would see it as like another planet on like a sci-fi movie. Yeah. Um, so like that's kind of like the gates of hell, right? He's, he's right there. Yeah. Um, walking the towards precipice. the fire um, that's spewing from a hole in the ground. Mm-hmm. And he, his truck breaks down. His truck can't breaks get it down. St- can't get it started. Um, they know they only need one one crate of dynamite to make it, so he says fuck it and goes to the back and starts carrying it. Yep. At which point there's a cut and we cut to the you know the fire spewing right into the middle of the dark jungle and he and comes out and walks of, right out of the darkness. Yeah, comes, comes out of the pitch black he formed. You see his like face yeah. and light for a little, and then he gets closer. He's wobbling and closer. with this uh, with this 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 dynamite, and finally the workers see him come running, like grab the box because they mm-hmm. know what what to expect. Yeah, um, he's lucky he made it as far as he did. He's the only one there. Only one there. He's so he gets the all the shares, there. all forty thousand um, dollars or whatever it was that were going to be paid for it. So, so when I was, I'm still confused as to what Nilo, the assassin's role in all this, is. I mean, we see. I call him the assassin because we see him assassinate someone at the beginning of the movie, and I'm, and I'm wondering what do you think? Because I'm in between two things. Either he was hired by the mob. You know, to go there and kill Jackie. That's what I thought it was at first. Right. And then he ends up, you know, liking him in the end. So that's why he saves him. Or it's the person he murdered in the beginning of the movie. He shouldn't have done that. And he needs to get away. And then decides to take this job as his only way out. But I'm, I'm kind of confused. Because he's the one character out of all the main ones that just doesn't add up to me. What do you think? That's a, a good question. Um... It's fine if it's I ambiguous, too. I think, I, I, I mean, I mean, I think, I think I can make an argument for either. The ambiguity serves any purpose. Like, this could be anyone, fill in the blank. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and he doesn't really fit in an independent slot, really. Like, if, if you think about it, most assassinations are political. Um, so he wouldn't be filling a new, like, role where we have a political terrorist on our hands. Um I do think, because when, when the mafia says, like, we're going to kill these guys, and, you know, we're going to need to bring in someone from outside, and it's going to cost a lot of money. He's like, I don't care. Just right. get it done. Um, so I think that's it. 
Um, I think he kills the, the the German guy to get on the trip, and he's going to kill Jackie, and then getting to know him. Yeah, you know, he doesn't. Uh, I think that makes the most sense. Right. He's someone from outside the United States who know where to find these guys. You know, he kind of just shows up. Yeah, he really does. Those kind of and show he stay, up and, and he stays where Jackie is yeah. staying, and he's you know and that's intentional. You know, um, right. I think. Um, I, yeah, I guess that's what I would go for too. Yeah, even um, though I'm still kind of it could be I, either way in yeah. my mind, but I think that he was hired by the mob. And then ended up liking Jackie, respecting yeah. him at least, because he saw how ambitious he was and how committed he was to going through with this trip through hell. And he his chances of making through the trip, you know, maybe he would get paid more. Yeah. You know, or he could take Jackie out at the end. Jackie gets him all the way there. You know, who knows? Right, because he's so confident walking into it. And then, you know, Nilo, when he actually sees what things are like out on the road, it really messes with him. Yeah. He's not as young as he used to be. <laughs> right, <laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, Jackie made it. He was the last one. And this leads to our very ending of the film, where we see him back at the, uh, the town, Port Veneer in Columbia. He's at the bar. The people from the oil company write in him a check. Yeah. Everybody shares from the whole thing. And this, at first, we get a shot that, you know, pans, slowly pans in on Roy Scheider's face. And I thought this was going to be end of the movie. A lot of I movies like well. to end with a character shot. You know, Midsummer, the one we did last yes. week, ended like that. Yes, it did. But this shot of his face, like you could just, you could just read it on his. He's just so exhausted. He has really been. He's been through hell and back. Yep. And it's kind of was it really worth it? Kind of face. What did I just do? Like, was that worth it? I'm never going to recover from this. Yeah. What did I do this for? Sort of. You know. Yeah. Um, it was a was it for me? <laughs> was it worth it if it was just for me? Um, right. And then he begins dancing with this woman who Serrano, I think, was it was hinted that Serrano was intimate with. Yeah. Um, she was a regular at yeah, the bar regular there. at the bar. She would, like, clean up. She does and housekeeping stuff. Washerwoman. Yeah, yeah, washerwoman. Um, you know, and he's dancing with her. Jackie's dancing with her and pans out to the outside. Um, and the mob boss rolls in, rolls up in the car. <laughs> yes. Just gets out, walks with, in. With the guy who told him where to go. Yeah, exactly. How to get out of the country. Yeah. That was what, like, I, when I saw that guy's face, I was like, oh my God, yeah. not Sold this him dude. Out. After uh, all that, he owed, you shot. owed him a favor, you bastard. Yeah, exactly. Apparently, you know. It's like, I hope you end up finding yourself in this town and living here five years from now. Yeah, for right. For whatever reason. Except whatever. you don't get out of purgatory. It's almost worse. Um, yeah, you yeah. just, you know. So, uh, yeah, so then we hear a gunshot, and we can only assume that it's Jackie's done. Right. Maybe some collateral damage, too. Wouldn't surprise me, considering the entire movie is about collateral damage. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah. that's, uh, that's Sorcerer. That's where yeah, it leads I, uh, I, I, I'd recommend it if you're, you know, got some time to kill. Um, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't go out of my way, you know, killing myself, trying to mm-hmm. make time to see it, but, you know. Yeah, I enjoyed this one particularly, but I don't know if it's going to be a movie for everybody. I think your mileage may vary, pun intended. Um, <laughs> I but <hope> so. <laughs> I think it's got a great sense of style to it. I think when it when it needs to be thrilling, it's extremely thrilling. But it's kind of uneven. There's yeah. a lot like that middle part of the movie really kind of dragged for me for a lot of it compared to the first and the third act. Um, so. You know, a bit of a mixed bag, but mostly good. Personally, I really liked it. Some great character, excuse me, some great character, um, character work. I think uh, Cassin is probably my favorite portrayal. 
Yeah, he was he was good in that movie. That was his uh, first feature role in a yeah. film. That actor, I think he, he did very well. Um, yeah, I liked uh, the guy who played the Frenchman. I did as uh, well. Victor, yeah, Victor slash Serrano. Serrano. Yeah. Roy Scheider's always solid. Always, always yeah. workman like performance in this movie. <laughs> Got to think of those shares, man. Got to think of those. That's twenty thousand. Twenty thousand shares. Twenty thousand each. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Um, so, uh, well, thank you for joining us for a discussion here on Sorcerer today. Yes. Uh, we appreciate it. If you made it this far, please leave a comment. Let us know what you think. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. We're on all good podcast directories out there. Yes. Um, check out our previous episodes on Midsummer and Moon. And our next one. Our next one. Is going to be on lighthouse the lighthouse yes 2019 film directed by robert eggers so that that should be a good time i'm looking forward to this one greatly as am i all right thank you for joining us have a good night